In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who gathers us together and speaks to us. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I thought it was kind of funny during the week when my voice was much worse than what it is today that I started seeing in our readings this sense of hearing God and praying to God that I would be hearable on Sunday. And so if my voice gives out, that's what's going on. Um, I'm hearing it happening uh, in the room around us as well. Um, Today is not only green because it's St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) It is also green because of all of the pollen that's coming down on us. But it is St. Patrick's Day. And so, happy St. Patty's Day. And... um, uh, 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 a holiday that I have found does not mean a lot to quite a few people who qualify themselves as Lutherans, um, but that's okay. Um, you know, uh, so some of you are very stuck in the mud. You're like, oh, Oktoberfest is the only thing that matters to me. Um, you know, uh, get over your racism and um, uh, let, let's talk about St. Patrick. Because uh, St. Patrick, uh, patron saint of Ireland, uh, we, we kind of know what he looks like, kind of, sort of, right? Um, he looks like a, a Roman Catholic bishop um, uh, from around uh, that time. And, and we hear all of these stories about what St. Patrick did, that he cast the snakes out of Ireland, um, and, and that he, uh, you know, uh, performed a miracle and made beer green, and... <laughs> Which wasn't quite as good as water into wine, but you know. But the real story of the real Patrick is actually kind of an interesting story, and some of you may know it, but some of you may be, you know, German Lutheran, and so uh, you'll be interested in learning about this guy. And um, and so Patrick was actually a, a British boy. Uh, which if you know the sort of tension between Ireland and Britain, that's kind of it telling of itself. And he, he was a British boy uh, grew, growing up in the British Isles, and uh, it so happened that there were Irish pirates, basically. Um, the, the, the Irish had in, in their lineage um, this, uh, this, this blood that, that came from uh, the, the Scandinavians and the Vikings and the folks um, that, that were used to conducting raids and, and piracy upon the shores. And, and they still had that kind of in their blood. Uh, sort of like some uh, Danish Lutherans at, at some point had that in their blood and now it's, we've just become like breakfast food people. <laughs> But but it was still very, very poignant then. And, and so you had these Irish pirates that came down and they invaded this British town and they took Patrick away as a slave, probably after killing his parents. He probably saw his parents killed right in front of his eyes and uh, they took him away and they said, you're going to be our slave. And so they took him back to Ireland. And while he was in Ireland, um, he, he existed as a slave, probably, you know, kind of a houseboy, somebody who would help clean up around here and there and, and do different things. And um, he lived there for a while. Um, and he wasn't really a Christian before he went to Ireland. At least that's the way a lot of the stories go. And his own story. We know this from uh, several letters that Patrick himself wrote. 
And he wasn't a Christian uh, until he was in Ireland. And while he was in Ireland, maybe it was some latent Christianity that he had heard uh, while he was in Britain. Because Britain at the time was a, a Roman province. Uh, Christianity was, was not uncommon, but it wasn't everybody. And, uh, and he heard what he said was uh, sort of the, the literal voice of God. And this little, literal voice of God told him to get out. Told him to leave, to run away, to go back to where he was from. Which you can understand that a lot of people are like, yeah, sure, God told you to do that. Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, God told you to go back to the place where um, you, you weren't a slave anymore, to where you were a son. Uh, and, and yet, that's Patrick's story. That He, he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to get out of here. And so... He ends up trying a few different times in, in order to get back to Britain. Uh, the time that he actually succeeds is sort of ironic because he ends up uh, getting on a ship on another piracy raid over to Britain and he ends up sailing across the Irish Sea over to Britain and he sneaks off the ship and he uh, then escapes and he's in Britain now. So, uh, he, he is definitely taking the ferry both ways <laughs> via piracy. But this time it's because God has told him. And so he's had this, this feeling of, okay, well, God told me to leave this place of, of Ireland that is, well, it's a really interesting political scene where you have all sorts of different laws, all sorts of, uh, there's not one ruler, but there's rather little warlords that are in charge of different parts. And so he's leaving that and he's coming back to the, the, the Roman, very Prussian, eins why, eins why way of doing things where everything is very organized, very clean, very neat. And so there, he says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to the monastery, I'm going to go to basically seminary, I'm going to become a priest. And so, he's heard the voice of God, he goes, and he's a priest. And while he's a priest, he gets this sense that God is calling him again. God's calling him this time not to, you know, little parish of St. Bartholomew's just right around the corner from the seminary. But rather, he's calling him to go back. Back to that place. Back to that place where he was enslaved. Back to that place where uh, everything is crazy. Where things are, pe people are being ruled by warlords. Where the culture is just dramatically different. And so he's called back to that place that enslaved him. And he goes back there. He's not the first Christian to arrive in Ireland. He's not even the first bishop in Ireland. But while he's there, he sticks to the things that he's heard. He sticks to the thing that he heard while he was in Ireland, that God came to him and he said, you're, you're mine, I, I want you to leave here and I want you to go back. And then once he's back, that he sticks to that and he sticks to what God tells him while he's there. Okay, now you've got the stuff that you need. You've got the learning that you need. You've got the understanding of who I am that you need in order to go back and tell these people about me. And all the way around, you can kind of understand if Patrick 
said, eh, no thanks. Eh, I don't, I don't really want to hear that. You know, that, that's good, but maybe it's good for somebody else. How often have we said similar things when God has called us? How often have we heard God kind of rapping at our door and asking us to consider something and we go, well, you know, God, that's great. Glad that you're looking out for those people. You're just not going to be looking out for those people via me. Choose somebody else. Thank you very much. You get that sense in pretty much all of these readings. You, you got that sense in this reading from Jeremiah. In fact, if you read the book of Jeremiah, that's pretty much the entire book of Jeremiah is what we just read, is that God tells Jeremiah, hey, warn my people. Tell them that they're doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. But tell them this too. Tell them if they would just shut up and listen, well, then maybe things would go okay. But what did God's people do in Jeremiah? I'll tell you this, they don't shut up and listen. Instead, what they do is they take Jeremiah and they threaten Jeremiah's life and they say, how dare you speak against our city? How dare you speak against who we are as a nation? How dare you speak against what we hold so dear? We're going to put you to death, buddy. And Jeremiah responds to that going, okay. But if you do it, it's the wrong thing. And then you get this psalm reading. This psalm reading that's all about this experience that David is having. David's writing this psalm probably. He's having this experience of laying down on his bed. And he's in this anxious moment where he's wondering what's going on with God. He is even saying, you know, lie down and be angry, but do not sin. It is kind of sense of like, well, what do I do, God? He, he feels like he's confined to his bed, but he's mad. And so he can't go to sleep, he can't figure out what to do, he can't do anything about it, and he's crying out to God, and he's asking, what do I do about this, God? And God is basically telling him, please, just be quiet. Stop all of this. And so then we get to Paul, and Paul is talking to the people of Philippi from a Roman prison cell. And he's writing to them. And as he's writing to them, he's saying, watch out for these people that walk as enemies of Christ. These people that walk in ways that are outside of what it is that we believe, because what we believe is that we have a God who cares to gather us together. Which is finally what Jesus is talking about in the reading from Luke. Where Jesus does this kind of interesting topsy-turvy thing. If you've ever seen the movie Big Fish, 
You maybe get a sense of what's going on with Jesus right here. Jesus knows that how he's going to die. Jesus knows that he's going to die in Jerusalem. Um, he, he's very aware of that, especially in Luke's gospel. He knows that he's not going to die outside of Jerusalem. And so when the Pharisees catch that the Pharisees, really interesting bunch of folks to warn Jesus that Herod is coming, by the way. Um, and by the way, um, had an Irishman amongst their midst, um, a, a guy named Nick Odemus, Some of you are catching on to that late. Um, this guy, these bunch of people that, that really, for the most part, they don't like Jesus. Jesus is, is too much of a, a rebel rouser. He, he's not good enough for them. He's not conservative enough for them. Um, and, and yet, they're like, well, compared to Jesus, well, Herod, we still don't like Herod more. And so we're, we're going to warn Jesus. And, and so they warn Jesus. And they're like, hey, Herod is going to come and kill you. But Jesus knows how he's going to die. And so he's not afraid of dying from Herod outside of Jerusalem. And he turns. And he sees it. And you can imagine what that was like for him. I mean, imagine just turning around one day and seeing the coffin that you knew that you were going to be buried in. Imagine turning around one day and seeing the ambulance that you were going to be carted off in. Imagine turning around one day and seeing the IV drip or whatever it is that's going to be associated with your death. Imagine turning around and seeing that, and all of a sudden, Jesus gets really serious and really sad because he knows that what's going on is that he is going to be put to death at the hands of people who are not going to hear him. He's St. Patrick before St. Patrick was ever St. Patrick. He's this guy who's being sent back to a place that is hostile to him. Except that in Patrick's case, he converts them. In Jesus' case, he dies on a cross and forgives them. And thank God he does because that's what he does to us. Because we are, we are Jerusalem. We are Jerusalem in the Jeremiah reading. We are Jerusalem in the Luke reading. We are the Jerusalem in the psalm that is so anxious about what's going to happen next. We are even the Jerusalem in the reading from Philippians that is so worried about the direction of the church so disconcerted about what's going on, so up in arms that we're not able to hear what God is saying because we just haven't stopped talking for long enough to hear what he's saying to us. I get this sense that so much of the time, God is just a father who is saying, and we're just continuing to talk, and he's continuing to try to break in, and he's saying, but if you, uh, if, uh, 
But we just keep on going. And he's like, stop it! And if we stop it, if we stop and listen, well, first of all, we don't stop and listen because I think we think that he's going to give us a prescription and say, well, this is what you're supposed to do. But he doesn't. If we stop it, if we stop and we listen, He says, I died on a cross for you. I love you. I forgive you. And so maybe if we just stop a little bit more often this Lent, we'll hear him. Because what sends Patrick to back to Britain? Is a word from God that says that he's free. A word from God that says, escape, go, you're free, your, your, your t- chains are, are t- cut. You have permission from God to leave. What brings Patrick back from Britain to Ireland is also freedom. It's this freedom that says, go back. Don't listen to what other people are telling you. I mean, I'm sure that there were all sorts of people that were like, Patrick, that is a bad idea. (laughs) But Patrick knew that he was free. That he was forgiven. That he was loved. That Jesus died on the cross for him. And that God was sending that message to him. And so why shouldn't he send that message to other people? So if we want to be like Patrick, if we want to have these great stories of being missionaries that leave our homes and go back to the places into which we have been enslaved, if we want to have these great stories where people say that we drove snakes out of things, if we want people to drink green beer in our honor, well, maybe that starts with the thing that made Patrick... which was understanding what Jesus was saying when he said, I just want to gather you. I just want to forgive you. I just want to love you. I just want you to be mine. And if we believe that, there's no telling what could happen. So now may you go out this week and may you embrace Silence for just long enough. You can hear from a God who loves you, who forgives you, and who calls you. Amen.